Hello, cryptid-loving listeners. As a friendly reminder from us here at the Don't Touch My Sasquatch podcast, we frequently make crude jokes, sprinkle our sentences with naughty words, and discuss mature content. Most of which may not be appropriate for all age groups. Listener discretion is advised. Now please enjoy. Basically, they're like, this shit legit. The shit is legit. Too legit to quit, some may say. But here's my question for you. Yes? You know the future. We're going squatching. We're going squatching, bitches. Welcome back to Don't Touch My Sasquatch Podcast. We are your hosts still and always. I am Josh. I continue to be Lennon. And we explore controversial topics with energy and a good laugh. And you're going to fucking, I'm looking at a camera that's not there anymore. <laughs> you're going to fucking laugh. <laughs> We're two guys that have a love and passion for these topics. Things that you may have heard of but don't know the full story of yet. We're here to tell you those stories. Tell you those stories. Share our opinions and come to your own conclusions. Uh, we'll do the research so you don't have to. Keep your mind open to the possibilities that things may not be as they appear. Now, imagine you just got home from work. Exhausted from teaching young minds all day, you make some dinner. Relax for a short time and then head up to bed for the night. I got to shift with no <laughs> camera. I have to, hey, I got to look over here. Hold on. Uh, yeah, so you head to bed for the night. After tossing and turning... A short while, you finally drift off to sleep. But when you awake, you're lying in a hospital bed with unfamiliar instruments, decor, and people are wearing some strange clothing. You ask a doctor what year it is, and his reply startles you. You are now 2,000 years in the future. In disbelief, you jump up and try to run, but you catch a glimpse of your reflection in a shiny surface. And you noticed the person staring back at you. It isn't you. Sounds like an interesting sci-fi film. But to one man, this was no film. This was his reality. And today, we are going to dive into his story over the course of the next two episodes. So sit back, relax, get those tinfoil hats on as we dive into... Chronicles from the Future, Part One. Um, so I, I hear this is something you've been wanting to talk about for a while. Quite a while. Yeah. Yes. Uh, this. I, I love that we chose to do this thing where you read a book, do a two-parter. I read a book and do a two-parter. I listen to a book and read a two-parter because I'm a, you know, I'm illiterate. I can't read. <laughs> you know how that goes in the podcast. Uh, uh, but please talk to us about this book. Well, this and book. Your, your, how'd you find out about it? That's me. It's right. caught on me toes. <laughs> it's caught on me toes. <laughs> it's caught on me toes. Um, so this book, I actually heard about it on a podcast back when the... I'll explain when it was released, but um, it, when it was re-released, we're going to call it for now, um, in 2015. Um, and instantly, I was like, this story is incredible. Um, I started to read the book back then. I think I probably read it all, um, but I picked it up and uh, read it again this time. Mm-hmm. Um, just giving you and the listeners all a heads up. This is a dense one. Um, there's a lot it's of dumb. Uh, dense. <laughs> it's dumb. 
No. <laughs> oh no, I'm dense. Ah. You're talking about the book is dense. Ah. I got it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Jesus, stupid me. Um, this book is the incredible account of a man named Paul Amadeus Dinak. Um, now the story of Paul Amadeus Dinak weaves through time, language, and friends. This account, not story, comes to us from the private personal diary of Dinak himself. While it wasn't meant to be shared with the public for fear of ridicule, the story you are about to hear was far too extraordinary for people not to know his incredible tale. I can't wait to hear it, but I got to say, yeah, and I just want to put this out there. Go for it. I don't know if I'm the only one that's listening, or listening, sorry. I don't know if I'm the only one that feels this way, but I'm I'm picturing like Amadeus Mozart yeah. and the book Enoch kind of had a baby, not the book, but the person Enoch. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. what we have now is this Amadeus. Paul Amadeus Enoch. Yes, that guy. Yeah. <laughs> the, yeah. Old, the old Amadeus. Pretty positive he had a mustache. It was a pretty dope one, too. A little tweedly one. Oh, well, we'll look for pictures from the future, and we can... A chronicle yeah. from the future, maybe. What do we got? Like a thousand years to wait still? Yeah, pretty much. 1920 something? <laughs> yeah. There's only a thousand left. Not wrong, not wrong, not wrong. <laughs> no. No. 3906 is the actual year. Yeah. Yeah, no, we we got about two thousand. We got a little, we got a little stretch to go. <laughs> I don't think we're gonna make it, bud. <laughs> Damn it! Well, Paul Amadeus Dinak was a Swiss Austrian teacher. He suffered from a serious chronic illness, which left him on multiple occasions in a coma. On one such occasion, he fell into a coma for fifteen days. On the next, a whole year. It is now believed that Paul Amadeus Dinak suffered from encephalitis lethargica. <laughs> I thought you were going to say syphilis. Ah, <laughs> no. <laughs> I was like, what does that have to do with anything? <laughs> Which is a neurological disease that triggers an immune system response to overloaded neurons. Mm. Following his one-year coma, in the fall of 1922, he traveled to Greece in the hopes of a remedy found through the change to warmer climate. Um, after he woke up from his one-year coma... Uh, he was still not feeling well. He, he had uh, his illness. Obviously, just woke up from a comatose state. Right, and also, as we learn later, he was suffering from tuberculosis. Jesus Christ, this poor guy. Yeah, he was. He had a rough one. He had a rough life. Um, he moved to Greece, as I said, and there he taught French and German lessons for money. And there is where he meets his student and trusted friend, George Papachatsis. I like that name. It's a good name. Now, Papa Chatsis. Good name. Good, <laughs> solid, <laughs> manly name. It's a strong name. Oh, what did Papa have to say? <laughs> Papa. Papa <laughs> learned from Dinak that he was born and grew up in a suburb, uh, suburb of Zurich. Mm-hmm. He pursued humanitarian studies later in his life and with his focus on the history of cultures and classical philogy. I don't know what that is. Study language. Oh, <laughs> Can we just say that? <laughs> right. Uh, just before his death in 1924, so we only survived for two years following his one-year coma. Um, oh, Jesus. Yeah. Just he, before his, what? What did he die of? Uh, the tuberculosis. Okay. All right. Uh, just before his death in 1924. Jesus? Oh, sorry. Jesus was arriving on a motorcycle. Yeah, that's, that's my kind of Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Let me hop on the back. <laughs> just riding, bitch. Just no. yeah. can I hug you? In the sh- there we go. Your neck smells nasty. Oh, Jesus. your hair's in my mouth now. <laughs> I like it though. Uh, oh, do you use conditioner? <laughs> Cue Jesus on the motorcycle. <laughs> <laughs> 
well, it, it, Highway to Heaven. <laughs> ah, good one. That was yeah. a good one. That was a good one. That's DCAC, a little backwards. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck, that was a good one. I can't recover. <laughs> Just before his death in 1924, Dina gave his trusted friend, Papa Chatsis, a gift. Now, the gift was given without context of what it held, other than that he told him he wished for him to use it to strengthen his language by translating it from German to Greek. Now, what Papa Chatsis found in the gift was a collection of notes that he initially believed to be a story that Dinak was writing. But upon further reading and translating, Papa Chatsis learned it was far more important. It was Dinak's personal diary. God damn it. Papa got some, uh, got a new bag. <laughs> Papa got a new bag. Yeah, yeah I think that's a <laughs> good number of the quote robot. <laughs> Something like that. Papa's got a new bag. <laughs> Uh, in his diary, he found the incredible account from Dinak himself about what he experienced during his one-year coma. He learned that as Dinak's body lay comatose in a hospital bed in Zurich, his consciousness was projected forward into the future to the year 3906. He found himself in the body of a man named Andreas Northam and lived his entire year in the future in this man's body. I'm just crying over here. It's okay. It is a sad one. <laughs> Following his awakening in 1922, he wrote in his diary secretly to everyone around him everything and every detail he could remember from his one year in the future. It is even said that he quit his teaching job just before his death, fearing the end would soon come, in an attempt to finish writing it before entrusting it to his close friend. I wonder if you could go... <clears throat> Sorry. You're good. But if you could go mm -hmm. into the future, and obviously it wasn't planned, Yeah. would you Google yourself or... Google yourself, whatever the fuck they call it up in the future. Well, like, well, you wouldn't know. You know what I'm saying. Would yes. you like try to look at what your past, if possible? Now. Past uh, as in the future, which is weird because it's Our past. future, their past. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm asking you. I don't know what he did. Okay. What would you do? What would I do? Real quick. Uh, I'd probably, I know that you just said not to, but I'd probably look at it the way that they did. Okay. Um, Which we'll learn then as we go on. Yes. All what right. would you do? Would you look it up? <sighs> would you look at our future? If I remembered me, I I would be honest with you. I think I'd be a fool not to. Mm -hmm. um, but then again, what if you find out something disappointing? Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's mm -hmm. a tough one. Yeah. I probably, because curiosity is my biggest weakness, yeah. would be too curious and have to, if I had the means to, look. I'd yeah. want to. Then you got a... What happened to Josh? Back to the Future Part 2 Sports Almanac situation <clears throat> in your hands. Yeah. <laughs> well, we don't really know how that all works. You see, with me looking at my Oh, we're past, going paradoxical now. <laughs> me looking at my past create the future that I saw? Mm -hmm. Or would it change my future when I go back? Mm. We don't know because it's know. not going to happen. We do in not our know. lifetime. They say that there's... Big brain guys that say that time travel is possible, but only mm -hmm. in the extent that we can dilate time and we can only travel forwards, yes. not backwards. Something to do with um, one way is to fly out to space, come right back, and exactly. you go X amount of time in the future. At the speed of light, correct. You're, yeah. yeah. Even not, not at the speed of light. Uh, astronauts, I think, that travel to, if they travel to Mars and back, would be five minutes younger. Really? I can't remember what it was. Don't it's don't quote me on that. Don't quote me. Don't quote me. 
Not that anybody's quoting me out there, but don't do it. <laughs> but, yeah, it was something to do with, you don't even have to get, go that far. You go out and come back, and you're X amount in the future already. Yeah. Just because of gravity. Hmm. I don't know how it works. I'm it's not wild. a fucking NASA it's scientist, wild. but it's awesome. It is. Now that it's going the best. Pass. It's going to the best. <laughs> well, uh, following his waking, I mm-hmm. said, oh, oh. There it is, bingo one. Looking at the future through the lens of a 1920s man, Dinox stated that he didn't fully understand all of the terms, technology, or how mankind got where they were in 3906, but he did his best to understand and to remember. We will come soon come to learn. We will come we will soon come to learn. <laughs> I've already have. The pants <laughs> are us. <laughs> he did <laughs> an excellent job of remembering all this, and he did learn a lot. Yeah. Um, in the future, Dinox claimed that they understood his situation fully, and called it a conscious slide. But he did his best to understand and remember. So do I. <laughs> oh, what happened? I went up two lines because I'm trying to read. You know, might help you. Yeah, they're not in here. Oh, uh, well, that yeah, I was looking for. You knew I was fault. looking for. I knew what you were doing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take that line back. In the future, DNAC claimed that they understood his situation fully and called it a conscious slide. They illuminated him on the details of mankind's history between 2000 and 3906, but left out any time where he would be alive and have a possibility of making an impact in case he returned to his body and was aware of the future and changed the timeline. So they filled him in on stuff, but only starting after his lifespan. Gotcha. Not that he couldn't, like, still change the future. You know, he couldn't tell his kids, be like, hey, you know, fucking... Don't back the Germans in World War II. You know what I mean? Right. right. They're but, assholes. <laughs> they are. They're assholes. Um, but still, that was at least the approach. They wouldn't tell him anything of his immediate future, which yeah. is kind of, I mean, cool. They knew. Hey, did he uh, write about any of his accounts that he learned? He sure did. All right, let's do it. The diary in the hands of Papa Chatsis was translated over time, over the course of the next 14 years, and confiscated from him during World War II as it was in German and considered suspicious to the Greek to the Greek um, government because gotcha. Papachasis was Greek. Yeah. But Papa. by then, Papachasis had already finished translating the diary in its entirety. Mm-hmm. But the real diary was never returned nor seen again. The government was like, we'll take this. And he's like, no, 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 this is literally just my friend's diary. He's German. And they're like, yeah, it's still suspicious. I'll tell you what, we're going to hold on to it. We're not going to destroy it. Following the war, if it ever ends, and depending on how the outcome is, we'll return it to you. And he never got it back. Wonder why? I don't know. Someone translated it and said, "Yeah, we can't give this back." Yeah, I don't know. But luckily, he had already done all the translations. Perfect. Good job, Papa. Yeah. yeah. From Papa there, lies. <laughs> Papa lies. <laughs> <laughs> From there, the translated diary was given to a few close friends of Papa Chatzitz's, where it was kept quiet and under wraps within the tectonic lodge of the Freemasons. Aha! That was between two tectonic plates. Yeah, where it was kept dis- discreetly where it was discreetly kept safe from the public. It was at Papa Chatz's request that in the 1970s, the diary be published to which it was immediately shot down by many people. Uh, biggest contributor of this was the church and everyone around who did not care to hear about the future and the quote unquote lies within the book. Um, just like, oh, just like the uh, earth being the center of the universe, right? Mm, mm-hmm. 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 Or solar system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. I know what you meant. Jesus um, Christ, I'm hitting everything. He published the entirety of the diary. Okay. Um, 
and uh, and nobody liked it. Uh, <laughs> he tried with no avail multiple times before he passed to publish it again or to get another publisher to pick it up or um, just to have like people it. take it seriously. Yeah, um, but never happened before he died. Before this, or after he died, another mm-hmm. publisher picked mm-hmm. it up and tried to uh, publish it himself on a smaller scale. as a little more condensed, um, brief version right. of the diary. Um, and uh, this is where the editor of Chronicles of the Future, uh, Achilles Sergios. I don't um, have cool names like that anymore. Right? Well, it's Greek. The Greeks have cool names. Um, the book... Uh, this is the book that I read. Gotcha. And what Sergios did was he picked it up and began to help fully realize Papa Chatz's version, vision of getting his teacher's true words and memories out there to the world. So what he did was he actually got the full copy of Papa Chatz's version of the full translated diary. And then he did the Lord's And work. that's what we have in Chron- yeah. Chronicles from the Future. Thank you. This is the story of Paul Amadeus Dinak. Now, I'm going to read mm-hmm. uh, the, the one of the um, original intros um from papa Chatzis himself from his original publishing in the 1970s gotcha he says the translator i'm sorry i think this was the editor's note of but say, still from that same book yeah the translator of the original text knew dnac personally his belief is that the inspiration and writing of these texts wasn't an imaginary creation of dnac based on his education and insightful abilities it is true it is a true phenomenon of parapsychology that was linked to his life Maybe he has also added his own things. Maybe he didn't see or live all of the events that he so vividly describes and presents. What is certain is that most of the basic elements of his texts are, are true experiences that he had. He lived in an advance. He lived in advance, a part of the future to come, and metaphysical phenomena of incredible clarity happened to him. A phenomenon of parapsychology that rarely happens with such an intensity and roughness. Because of him, this is going to happen on Earth starting from the last decades of the 20th century up until 3906 A.D. is known to us, at least in general terms. Now I leave you with DNX Diary, a chronicle from the future. Okay, so I like it. Basically, they're like, this shit is legit. <laughs> the shit is legit. Too legit to quit, some may say. But here's my question for you. Yes. You know the future. I just want to... I know the future from the book. Yes. Uh-huh. Um, how in detail do they go about the future that is written after he dies? So incredibly detailed okay. that I had to read chapters five, six times and then take a break and come back and read it again to fully process everything they were trying to explain. Um, it is in depth. It is okay. detailed. Dinak, uh, I don't. I don't think it's a photographic memory. Uh, I, what I think it's called an eidetic memory. But basically, he recalled everything that happened to him. Um, we find out in a few minutes that he did this because in the future he decided he was going to write a diary of his own, and he want uh, a diary in the future. And uh, so he actually recalled the pages he wrote. So um, they went in in depth in this future stuff, and we'll get into that heavily in part two. Um, but let's start before his one-year coma. Sounds good. I'm sorry. I'm trying to. You're good. Look up eidetic, and I keep getting Skechers. I don't know why. My I... favorite shoes, Skechers eidetics. <laughs> no, I mean I was typing Google.com, and Skechers kept coming up. Ah, uh, 
yeah, you'll get that Sign. in the big jobs. Eidetic memory is the ability to vividly recall an image you are exposed to, but only briefly. Okay, so if he look, if he if he saw the image of Good. the diary he wrote, then that would make sense. Then gotcha. Um, so early on, we learned from an entry in 1918. Now let me preface this again. There's going to be a lot of little prefaces. It's okay, do you say chicken wing? Um, the first little bit of the diary I was reading, uh, I was like, man, uh, I, I'm going to take thorough notes on each day and not each day, but. You know, I'm going to, you know, get that shit going. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I started to read it, and uh, it wasn't until later on that I realized, hey, this is from uh, the first diary before he went into a coma. So we're going to get a little bit of insight into who Dinoc is himself. I, for some reason, missed that. It's okay. I missed that he, he wrote and then wrote. He wrote uh, multiple diaries and gave all of them to Papachatsis. Oh, good old Papachowski. <laughs> now he's Russian. Early on, we learned from an entry in 1918 that he lost his love, Anna. He mourns deeply for her even years later and is in a depressed state from his loss. Those around him wish him to move on and be happy again, that which he cannot do without closure. He talks about the time he would spend with her when he was young and the life he so badly wished for them to share together. The anger and sadness from her death is felt heavily. Now, this is a very hurt man. Yes. Um... It is very clear from his diary entries that he's struggling very deeply. Um, as uh, I could kind of understand, understand, be, understand. Uh, he wa- has known had known his love since he was a child, right. and much like myself, I have also been best friends with my wife since we were children. So far, so I've so seen, far. I've seen the future. Yeah. <laughs> Um, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> shit. <laughs> um, so I was just from where I am, um, and he's 32 at this point, and she had passed away nine years ago. God, 32, that's old. Yeah, well, yeah. But um, he'd known her most of his life, and he, he, the loss was weighed heavily on him, is all I'm trying to say. Yeah. Um, it's really what he writes, his, his words are very moving. We learned that he's 32 years old and has suffered... From an ailment, this ailment he he t- keeps referring to, which we find out is the, the people suspect to be the encephalitis lethargica. Gotcha. Um, he's suffered with it for most of his life. Um, following his story of the love of Anna and him, following his story of the love Anna and him shared, we jump ahead to in his diary to January seventeenth of nineteen nineteen. Here he marks the two year anniversary of his revival, as he calls it, the time when he awoke from his fifteen day coma. It becomes prevalent through his entries that the lost Vanna weighs heavily on his soul and just how deeply he cared for her and what her loss did to him. This is a man deeply stricken with grief. On July 6th of 1922, Dinoch wrote his first entry following his one-year coma. This is actually his second diary. The counts prior were from the first diary of which he was leafing through. Mm-hmm. Um, so let me, let me try and make sense of this too because um, I didn't in here. He's writing in his second diary after he woke up from the one-year coma. Yeah. About the entries in the first diary because he was reading through them at the time of writing mm-hmm. this second diary. Does that make sense? His diaryception. Yes. Got it, yeah. Exactly. So he was reading the book and writing, or reading his diary and writing because a summi- summation of pretty much. said yes. first diary. Got because it. Got it. Um, this would be one, two, three, four, four years after... Mm-hmm. Um, passing 
well, four years after writing that first diary that he was gotcha. reading through it. And I was 36. Yes. Uh, this is actually his second diary. The Counterpart He talks about rediscovering his old self, who he was before the one-year trip, his love and loss of Anna, his doubt and faith, and his rediscovery of long-forgotten emotions. In an August entry, he talks about the internal struggle with telling his story or repressing it and keeping it hidden from everyone around. As he makes preparations for his move to Athens, as I said, he moved to warmer climate and hopes to cure his tuberculosis. Mm-hmm. Um, he reflects on his fears that the tuberculosis he has come down with will take him soon. He knows his, he knows he doesn't have long. Yeah, they for some reason started showing me the future at uh, 1932, <laughs> it's yeah. 1931. I really don't. They said they weren't going to show me my, my future, so I guess it means I'm dying. Inadvertently, they did. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as he makes preparations for his move to Athens, he reflects on his fears of tuberculosis. I s- said all I of that. Fucking do that. <laughs> Only worsening his conflict of sharing his story or taking it with him to the grave. Throughout the later half of 1922 into the beginning of 1923, Dinak is settling into his new life in Greece. He begins in March of 1923 to really begin expressing what happened to him. He talks about his real life. He talks of the real life he experienced, crystal clear memories he has of the 360 days spent in the future, and with all sincerity proclaims it to not be a dream, but real unforgotten memories of his experience. Some shit. That's some some shit. He mentions so many times early on about how he will do everything in his power to convince people that this was not a dream. It was not a figment of his imagination. It was not his brain filling in the void of a year. Wasn't the neurological issue he had exactly? It was a real thing that he experienced. If it was, he he mentioned how when you wake up from a dream and it starts to fade away over days and minutes after you wake up. I was about to say I don't have dreams that last for days. Exactly, um, but these are uh, these are memories. They're legitimate memories that he remembers as clear as a memory of right. going to the store yesterday. You know what I mean? There's one way to prove people wrong. How's that? Tell them what the future's going to be. Yeah. It's kind of shocking, too. I can't wait to talk about that. I, I, I'm i trying to tease it. I know nothing about it. I'm hoping there's something. That's why I keep teasing it. Yeah, yeah. So, a major part of part two is going to be on that. Yeah, so I'm not really looking for an answer. I'm just trying to tease it. That's all. That's beautiful. I love it. What? I'm going to... The, the teasing. I know. You looked at your phone. And I was looking at the time. Oh, sorry. Um, but I'm also stalling to find my spot. <laughs> well, okay. He found it, baby. And on April 24th of 1923, he officially decided to write down all of his memories during that period. After testing his memory and having the confidence in it to recall all of the little details, he decided to do so. Nice. In the future, Dinoch, as a man named Andreas Northam, wrote a diary of his life there. He wished so badly he could have all of the pages he wrote in the present, but he recalled word-for-word poems and songs that his friend Sylvia in the future had recited to him. This gave him the reassurance that he could, in fact, recall his diary and his life in the same manner. And thus, he began writing. Smart man. This gives him a kind of resurgence in life. Failing in health and knowing that he doesn't have long to live, months maybe at tops, this gave him a mission and a purpose and excited him. Something to, uh, one last, you know, mission for him to have a drive in life. Huzzah. He was, exactly, he was uh, depressed. 
uh, still. I would be too. I mean, you got months to live, and he's like, "What am I doing? What What do I have to show for it? What do I have left? Not too much to show for it, but I, I know what you meant. Yeah. yeah. So this gave him like, "Oh my God, I can do this. I can get my story out there. I'll be gone. At least it's out there in the world, you yeah. know." Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Let's jump ahead to the future during his one-year coma. Nah, let's just kind of stay in the present. (laughs) We learned from his diary entry from the future that he, when he woke up on day 12 of what would be his stay in the future, uh, day 12 is when he got the idea of writing a diary about his present situation. Understood. He finds himself in a strange hospital room with many unrecognizable technologies. He refers to an incident in the days prior with the mirror he did not recognize his face and had a little freak out, but he is starting to come to the realization that he is healed of his ailments, that he is not dead as he initially thought, and this strange new world was real. So in the early days, obviously the first 12 days he didn't write, or first 11 days he didn't write anything. Yeah, yeah. Um, we find out like uh, he woke up, he had in and out flashes of people in there with him, um, was... Everyone was speaking a weird language, and he wasn't quite sure. He thought maybe he uh, had suffered uh, another resurgence of his ailment, his illness, which he right. did, but right. a little more severe than he expected. Right. Um, and maybe he thought maybe he was, he was even dead. But uh, day 12, he's kind of realizing, he's kind of awake, cognizant. Um, seems like he had quite the fog that he had to come out of mentally and emotionally um, from this trip to the future of this new body. Did he have anybody saying, like, little guys with big heads when he woke up, he doesn't remember us or anything like that, and a happy guy just sitting there like, welcome home. Ah, uh, no, unfortunately, all human. Okay. Unfortunately. Yeah, I was just commenting that video I, sh- I showed you. Yes. I, I, I wonder if we're going to hey, let's just keep going. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, so I tangent it off. It's okay. Uh, he finds himself on a sh- in a strange hospital room mm-hmm. filled with unrecognizable technologies. I did that again. I fucking did that. Whatever happened to his to this body mm-hmm. that he was now in, that he was projected into, he is in the ho- in a hospital room and being attended to by multiple physicians. They're helping him to stand, to walk, to regain conscious thought. And in the end, it seems as if they are helping his body and mind through the process that was inflicted on it that transcends time. He finds himself in awe of his surroundings, the landscape outside, the look of everything as a beautiful crystal type of combinations of pastel colors, as he puts it. Everything's got a crystal-like pastel color composition, is All what right. he said. Um, as that he, would be beautiful. Yeah. He said that everything looked to be made up of a colorless metal of which the ambient light bounced off of perfectly. And some stuff was translucent until you went to touch it, expecting it to be solid or hard, and it was uh, soft to the touch. And when you touched it, the translucence would actually reflect into color Oh, where you touched. It was kind of interesting. Gotcha. That's like a no-touch zone or a touch zone. Sure. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> he finds himself in awe of his... Why? I'm not going to do that again. I'm just making a musical musical. Nice. As he, At your intermission, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> As he's led on a walk around by the chief physician, he hears the single name on repeat again and again. Who is Andreas Northam, he wonders. He is led down the hall into a room where he now sits before two electors, as he calls them, 
Now, electors is a term you'll hear again and again. All right. We'll find out who they are and what they are later. Electoral college. Sort of. These two electors stared at him silently. He immediately viewed them as, a, as people of important and wise stature. Something inside of him compelled him to fall to his knees and share his story down to every little detail with them. He had a moment like Chunk did in The Goonies. You remember that part where they they got Chunk and he's crying and he's like telling them every little detail and then they cut back to him and he's like, and then it was 12 and I peed my <laughs> pants in the movie theater. You remember that? Yeah, yeah. He's yeah. crying and shit. It's kind of like that. He just all of a sudden wept and felt the urge to explain everything to him. And then they, he them, grabbed the, his stomach and started shaking it and said <laughs> the uh, truffle shuffle. Yeah. And they said, what the <laughs> fuck? How does he know about that? Ah, he did see the future. <laughs> um, see, these two electors are now uh, have this man sobbing and crying gotcha. and explaining things to them in front of him. While crying and pleading with them to believe his story, the silent electors just watched and listened. Then they spoke to him. They asked questions in broken German of which he was speaking, questions about the date and place he came from, who he was, and who he was. Dinak described them as, quote-unquote, a peaceful harbor for turbulent souls. Aww. So it's kind of it's kind of nice. He felt uh, reassurance, reassurance from them. Gotcha. After answering everything as best as he could and pleading for them to believe, them, believe him, the old men lifted him up off the ground and reassured him that they do, in fact, believe him. We believe you, sir. You can shut up now. <laughs> All right. Get your, get get clean, your shit together. yourself up. You know, there's people around. They spent the rest of the day talking. The electors shared many insights <laughs> about the mystical world and the matters of the mind, time, and space. Most of it was initially lost on Dinak, but he left the conversation with a newfound bliss and understanding of his situation. In reality, he just stumbled in some other patient's room, just blabbering. Like, I don't know who the fuck this guy is. But. Yeah, we believe you, dude. <laughs> All right. Yeah, good old boy. Get going. Slap. There you go. Uh, he learns from Professor Molson, a new character. All right. Uh, Professor Molton. Yep, Molson. Uh, Molson. Yes, and Elector Jaeger. That Molson had a patient named Andreas Northam, who was brought to him very recently with a fatal head injury from an accident. Professor Molson did what he could, but could not save him. Northam died in his arms, and his body was then immediately frozen, and a few minutes later, Professor Molson was able to bring him back to life. Somehow, Northam woke up 15 minutes later, after having been dead. That is when... Dinox steps in. And he said, I am here. Where am I? <laughs> Dinox remembers the night before he went comatose in 1922. He remembers struggling with a fever and a sleepless night from which he had no energy to even move. But Aw, shit. He dri- but he eventually drifted off and felt an abysmal fall, as he calls it, into nothing before waking up through faint glimpses of this unfamiliar surroundings people standing over him and talking as he went in and out of consciousness. In these early moments, he pieced together that he must be in a hospital, and when he fully awoke, he was able to move out of his bed, and he was in shock and horror. The body, his body, was not his own. So, yeah. There you go. Well, this one has nice abs, though. I can get used to this. (laughs) One, two, ten. (laughs) What the fuck? (laughs) Two penises? (laughs) What is this thing? (laughs) That's my butt hurt. <laughs> Over the next day, he unraveled a little more of his situation. He realized that the doctors around him did not speak his language. They spoke with some Anglo-Saxon rooted 
rooted words language, mm-hmm. as he called it. He could under he could understand parts of it, but they could barely understand him. Gotcha. He spent some days in the hospital bed recovering and being observed by physicians and nurses, and it seemed that Andreas Northam's head injury was still of concern to them, and even more so to the select few privy to the knowledge of Dinax consciousness within. Now, at this point, there's only a handful of people, maybe like four or five people who know that, hey, Northam's dead. This guy Dinak from 1922 is uh, somehow came to the Occupying future. his body. Exactly. Um, it's like a little uh, outhouse sign that just says, Occupado. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, so only a select few know about them, about that situation. But um, the rest of the people attending him in the hospital are treating what they believe to be Northam's head injury. Gotcha. Um, and a subsequent amnesia as they start making the case that, oh, Northam's got amnesia. He doesn't remember anything about uh, uh, time in the future. That's, Shit. That's their, well, that's what they're saying. So that I way. Know. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I don't know why I said shit. That wasn't the response. It's just okay. Said, it's yeah, okay. I, I got what you're saying. All right. Elector Jaeger, Professor Molson. <laughs> Dr. Jaeger. <laughs> yes. Miser. Elector Jaeger. I'm sorry. It's okay. Not a doctor. <laughs> a, a doctor. I stayed at a Holiday Inn. Yeah. Not a sponsor. Andreas's close friend, Nikita. Stefan. Nope. 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 What? Elector Jaeger, Professor Molson. And Andreas's close friend, Stefan, and a couple of higher-up physicians knew about the new identity within and all visited him regularly. Mm. Now, Stefan is a new character, not character, a new uh, person to Dinoch, obviously, but <laughs> welcome in, Stefan. <laughs> Stefan's here now. Ooh, um, that felt good. It's a little hot in here. It is. Uh, Stefan was Northam's best friend. Got it. Understood. Um, through these little encounters, he learns about who Andreas was and his accident, he's picking up on and learning about the world around him and the strange customs and politics it holds. Stefan agreed to visit on the regular to teach him specifically who Andreas was and about his world around him so he's fully prepared before entering into it and it's not a severe culture shock. Right. Um, he slowly picks up on what is called the universal language, as Stefan puts it, by reading books with the help of a dictionary. Uh, the reading also helps to ease his restless mind into a natural sleep because apparently, again, still in the future, he still suffers from that insomnia type, this um, this ailment that right. he can't sleep. Well, guess what? Yeah. Straight to sleep when you read a fucking dictionary. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah, pretty much. With the guidance of the wise talks with, the, with Elector Jaeger, he becomes accustomed to the new body and persona of Andreas. He no longer ponders his old memories for answers or solace, but looks optimistically at life going forward as the new man he now is. He begins to recognize himself in the mirror and not a stranger anymore. After time, you have to, right? Right. Gotta just adapt. Exactly. And this happened, uh, I think this whole hospital stuff, I'm pretty positive it took place over the course of a month or so. Mm-hmm. Um, remember, Andreas Northam had suffered a head injury and died for 15 minutes. Then his body was frozen. Immediately after this 15 minutes, Dinoch woke up inside. Mm. After oh, some time, that sounded dirty. It did. The way you wrote that, ah, uh, you didn't mean that. <laughs> after some time, of who's inside uh, me? <laughs> after some time of learning and healing, mind and body, Dinoch is released into the vast new world around him, still learning and still taking in every little detail. Stefan explains to Dinoch on the outing with Andreas's old friends that in their time, people do not greet each other as strangers, but more so as old friends. 
You speak open-heartedly, relaxed, peacefully, and kindly to each other and get the same in return. Now, this is on... Yes, this is on their first... uh, On Dinoch's first real um, introduction to the world. Um, Yeah. uh, Northam and... uh, Andreas Northam and Stefan's friends... Uh, friend group are going on a small trip together. It's like they were going on a hike to the, some of the nearby mountains. Right. And um, they were like, well, let's get Andreas into this. So that way, you know, get Come him out of the hospital, chat. you know. Dinoc is in that body, obviously, and he's trying to piece together, what the hell is this fucking shit around me? Like, how are people interacting? Why is everybody talking to each other? Like, everybody knows each other, and everybody's so right. peaceful. So very confusing. Stefan is the only one who knows who's privy to Dinoc. Right. Being there. So there's little side bits and sidebars and side tangents where Stefan is explaining things to him. And that's where he finds out that this new way that people interact with each other. It's very um, inviting. Very yes, nice. Yes. It's very peaceful. Right. Um, he's introduced to Dinoc's circle of friends on a few outings. And learns a little more about life and who the man they once knew was. One of them, a woman named Sylvia, Ooh. used to mean quite a lot to Andreas. But his feelings were not met with the, with the same from Sylvia. Um, he cared for her deeply and wanted to have a relationship with her. But she didn't, she didn't feel the same way. No, it turned out to be his sister. No! <laughs> <laughs> the, wah, wah. <laughs> the friend group notices that Andreas... This is, again, over the course of a few more interactions mm-hmm. and outings. Of course. Because there's a lot of it. They go on a lot of trips together. You can't cover it all. Read the book. Nope. The friend group notices that Andreas seems a little different with slight mannerism changes, and uh, he seems quiet and t- have he seems to have a quiet and timid attitude, something he didn't have before. Um, after a few outings and interactions over the course of several days, he begins to learn more about the society around him from Stefan. Dinak remarks about how perfect the life that they have. How amazing it is for a group of 20-somethings in their friend circle to be able to live such a fun and adventurous life. Now, Dinak is remarking on this because these this group of friends, and it seems like everybody else around, um, they live a carefree existence, and they can right. just go on these adventures. They can go to the super continent, or a ho- a super, not continent, the hotel resort country that is Italy, oh. which is like coast-to-coast uh, resorts. All right. Just like a vacation destination. They can all go do these things and have this abundance of just um, – food and amenities and just carefree living and they can just go do whatever they want so he's talking about it he goes this is amazing that you have the ability to do this because where i'm from we're in the great depression we don't <laughs> call it that right now but right pretty much we got porridge porridge we gotta eat little stale bread <laughs> pretty much stefan explains to him that in their society that they they were only able to achieve this type of um free living yeah after in their society as soon as a teenager finishes their schooling from ages 17 to 19, they go in immediately into the workforce. So schooling ends 17, 17 to 19. For two years straight, you go bust your ass in the workforce. Nice. They take on jobs in manufacturing, transportation, construction, food, furniture, administrative office roles, any job that would have its needs met by an employee to help the world function. Literally yada, yada. any and every job. Yeah. For two years, these 
Um, they are, and they, uh, we find out they're called partners okay. for these two years. These partners will go into the world and perform any and every job that doesn't require a career long um, dedication. You know, right, they're right. not a doctor. They're not a. <laughs> uh, they're not an astrophysicist, but Architect what they are is yeah. everything else that needs the world to function. Smart. For these two years, they are not a financial burden on their parents, nor will their children be on them. Stefan says that these that those who have a wondrous life now have it thanks to dedicating themselves fully for two years during their partnership. Yeah. The generation before did it for society just as the next will. When asked for an image of modern life, Stefan thinks for a minute and responds by saying... Give me a second. I have an excerpt here. <laughs> By saying, page 65. <laughs> it is 65. Did you do that on purpose? What? It is page 65. Not from the future. Oh. A typical image of modern life, Stefan repeated, gradually speaking louder in a cheerful manner. Did you say a typical image of modern life? Well, for the majority, of, <laughs> for the majority this is pretty much the most common way of life now. Simple life surrounded by the beauties of nature, carefree, cheerful, among friendly faces, faces, and our loved ones. It is a life without ambitions or in the slightest desire for posthumous fame, without the need to perform great deeds, to give the electors and the lorfs, we'll learn about them later, their large palaces with all your heart, without any secret desires, to live free and above all, unfettered from any sorts of projects that will gradually, that will gradually and without you realizing it, enslave you for your entire life. To stay away from any contact with the institutions of our times, few though they may be, to see your life flow in obscurity among the treasures of the heart and of the nature and of nature, happy in your anonymity, and to occasionally lose yourself in reading or in the pleasure of being a sensitive admirer of the fine arts. That's the image of modern life you're looking for. Basically, shit. You can do awesome. whatever you want. You, if fucking climbing mountains all day makes you happy, you can go do that. If just painting pictures all day, looking at paintings on the wall, anything right. that makes you happy, you can go do. It's a great concept. It is. How would it work? Because they dedicate themselves for two years. The world is still turning, and the society is still moving forward. Jobs mm-hmm. are still being done. Everything's still being taken care of. So no money is people. needed? Huh? No money is needed? No. After you they've are 19? Re- no, they've reached a point of, of society where it's not a commodity-based thing. It's we are all here. This is all us. Mm-hmm. We're all going to share this and have this. It sounds socialist, communistic, but it's not. It's it's just their, their next state of um, being in the society is that they're – we are all in this together, and we want to share this happiness with each other. And uh, the main driving force for society is that everybody should be happy in their life. True. Um, now, we'll learn more in part two why this is thinking comes to be. Gotcha. But I figured I'd slowly ease into that because that's a bit more of part two type stuff. We are Penn State. Thank you. You're welcome. Dinak is confused at the concept of working for two years and then just enjoying life for the rest of it. Stefan does his best to explain that they are part of what he would consider to be the working class. These people work hard for two years and then enjoy what life has to offer following until they drop. They seek no fame nor accolades and settle for a peaceful, quiet existence in society. Now, that's the trade-off. You get to go enjoy life and be happy and stuff. 
but you're probably not going to make a mark on history. Right. You know, you're not dedicating your life to painting because you're not committing your life to stuff. Guess you know what? what? You're not I'm writing. Okay, you're I'm not, okay not being making mark. If yeah. it makes you happy. Yeah. Yeah. I'd rather be happy. And that's the thing. They said that there's people who that's all they want. They don't want to. They don't care if they don't make a mark on history. Right. As long as they lived a happy, peaceful life, and you know, and they're fulfilled at the end of every day. That's mm-hmm. great. However, though, mm. there are other other side of the coin. People who want to better and commit uh, better society, commit themselves. Can need them. Yeah, exactly. But the point that they're at is when offered this choice, everyone in our time expects there to just be lazy people who are just like, yeah, fuck that shit. I'm going to go, and, you know, you know what I mean? The people who, yeah. like, you know, those kind of, the COVID people <laughs> we're still dealing with. We still are. They don't want to work. Exactly. Yeah, um, no. But... I, I couldn't sit around all day. I'd have to do something. Exactly. And that's but I wouldn't they're... work as fucking much as I do. Right? Honestly. So. I know off... you wouldn't either. No. When offered this choice, it seems that people actually are innately good. And they're not just going to be freeloaders. There's also people who want to, you know, continue. Those who wish to continue on the positions of power, science, medicine, anything that takes a lifelong commitment are part of another social class. Right. Now, those who wish to achieve greatness and success and contribute further to society decide to do so and continue on toward the goal following their two years. So they still have to put in their two years. Of course. But they decide to forego the happy, not happy, because it's the happy and fulfilled, but well, forego the... if they choose the, it, it's more happy than if exactly. it's forced upon you. And they, so they continue to go on further into the landscape of whatever lifelong or career-long commitment. Yeah. Um... As for the political landscape, the idea of power had changed over time. It was realized and progressed that material gain from power and all of the corruption and badness that comes with it, comes from it, was sacrificed for ruling solely for the betterment of society, and society as a whole had morphed into this peaceful era without crime nor hatred. The ability to choose your own path and to be fully supported with it, and the ability and the option to enjoy life or to better it, created this beautiful utopia. There's a saying here, as Stefan told me, that says that the man of today, the mm-hmm. troned, as they call them, call him, can do no wrong. As the British used to say about their king, the reality was made possible. The pos- British are coming. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sorry. Was the reality wa- was made possible as a result of the deep respect they have for the value of the human life, which is implanted in their conscience from an early age. According to the current Volkic perception, again, we'll talk about that later, each and every one of thy neighbors is a whole inner world full of dreams about life, affection, love, and sacred human suffering, high ideals, and a wide range of spiritual values. So they've literally put um, this higher value on on the human life. You right. Know? And in turn, as a society, they've just kind of like respected each other and... It's kind of an incredible society that, that I they're see why it's painting. 2,000 years in the future. Yeah, now to get there was a rocky one. His lessons on society and its history is cut short by the entrance of one of their friends not privy to his secret. I never finished uh, that journal entry, so that is not important. Ah. In the coming days, he notices a... Wait, wait, wait. Was that a Lennon note or a Enoch note? That was a Lennon note. Oh, okay. Because right, right. this, that whole... Uh, that whole stuff about the partnership and all that. That all happened in Stefan's apartment, mm-hmm. and he was explaining it all to them. And then all of a sudden, uh, one of their friends came in, and uh, he doesn't know the situation with Dinoch. 
So they had to stop their conversation. Alter. It was not important. Switch topics. I forgot to, forgot to uh, yeah, cut it. In the coming days, he notices a building excitement he's feeling about the times he sees Sylvia. Their relationship develops further after she confesses to him how much gentler and purer he seems to be after his accent. Accident, not accent. <laughs> oh, I feel Actually, he pure, does have huh? a little bit of an accent. <laughs> I bet he's German. They share a kiss, and she tells Ooh. him she wants to travel with him and see the places she's already seen with him, seen again with him this time. We learn from a friend, Dr. Disney. Dr. Who? Disney. <laughs> Okay. It's not. Right. It, if Walt, Walt the, is his first name. Yeah. A friend who accompanied them to Italy that the days of. A si- to Italy. Yeah. That the days of a science based society have passed. Not that their society doesn't need or want it, but that for the period that it was the sole focus, it served its purposes 100% and gave them the laws and the answers that they needed to develop their society into, one, into the one currently, which values arts, poetry, music, dancing, and all such and all of the arts as much as scientists once and still do. Gotcha. So basically the gist of it is, is that they appreciate the beauty in life just as much as they appreciate the science in life. Gotcha. That's pretty much all I was trying to say there. Oh, Stefan guides them through many lessons about modern life and their time. He teaches them their, he teaches mm-hmm. Dinoc mm-hmm. their customs, their beliefs, the meanings and processes of the rules and values they live by. One of the lessons taught to him about the Aderson Institute, again, talk about that later. A lot of talk about it later, but it all comes centerfold. <laughs> here we'll we, get there. Here we Be learn, patient. <laughs> here we learn that human beings are being developed at the Aderson Institute. To be clear, if possible, at the start of what they call the new era in human history, which began on September 6th of 3382... When a man named Alexis Volke... That's fucking weird. Hmm. September 6th is in two days. It is. Sorry. It is spooky. Just <laughs> wait, wait, what? Almost the anniversary. Yeah. Wait a minute. Is it an anniversary if it's prior? <laughs> well, if this actually happens in 3382, then we got a uh, pre-anniversary. Uh, pre-versary. Pre-versary. And it's 1982 when we're recording. Wow. That's crazy. No. <laughs> oh. 2082. Ah. We're coming to you live from the future. And the future is... We have Pop-Tarts. Wait, you don't have that in the past? Nine. Protein Pop-Tarts. Makes you fart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Okay>. Delicious. <laughs> I don't know. We're going to find out after, uh, well, whenever intermission is. It's very shortly. Okay. I'm going to leave you with one less complicated part of this story. The last complicated? For one last for part one. Ah. There's a lot we covered here, so I'm going to give people time to absorb it before we get to part two. And you are stuck with more. Um, I'm not stuck with anything. I choose to be here because I enjoy it. Well, thank you. Well, thank you. So on September 6th of 3382, this mm-hmm. is what they mark as uh, the beginning of the new era in the human history. Yeah. Um, a man named Alexis Volke survived what they call the Nibblevirch. <laughs> Essentially, he was the first to do so, and in doing this, he reached an enlightened state and understanding, which they refer to now as Volkic knowledge. Now, I talked about that earlier, but that's what Volkic knowledge is. Gotcha. So what about this this... new state of enlightenment? Okay. The nibble verse is about the new state of enlightenment. Um, The nibble verge is basically um, the process you must go through. Yeah. 
survive in order to reach this enlightened state. So you go to the nibble verse, and there's yes. just a bunch of people nibble on you. And oh, then yes, you're like, I'm enlightened. I'm enlightened. Nibble me. It's like, no. what? <laughs> whoa, whoa, what are you nibbling down there? Don't, no, no teeth. It's one of no those. No teeth. It's Get one the grandma one. Those fish pedicure places where they eat the dead skin off you, of your feet. Oh, actually, I would do that. Yeah, I would do I, that. He said, actually, yeah, I would wait, do that. Weighing it. I'm in the nibble verse. There's a bunch of fish on me. Oh, there's like, get off my nipple. Actually, go back. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Oh, that's what happened. Okay, hold on. You come back and you come back. Here we go. Well, the nibble verse is when they <laughs> truly begin to feel the direct knowledge of, of everything, not from outside, but from within themselves. Within the nibbles. Yes. Fast forwarding to Dinox present, the Aderson Institute is dedicated to further developing these new Homo sapiens with this Volkic knowledge. Mm-hmm. The next step for Homo sapiens mm-hmm. is what they call Homo Occidentalis Novus, okay. or the current enlightened man. All right. One more excerpt. Yeah, page 69. The Overson is what they call the quote-unquote new antenna, and it was acquired and at when it was acquired, everything that seemed transcendental, transcendental before mm-hmm. had now been proven to be within the grasp of human capabilities. The new era, the n- I'm not going to say the word, showed everyone that it wasn't re- reasonable to consider a man as a small earthly god. True reality would exist regardless of the contribution of our own species. I don't know why that one was in there. I'm going to cut that one. But basically... Humankind, human beings developed a quote-unquote new antenna, which okay. brought them to this new enlightened state, which is now how the peaceful society lives and coexists together. Antenna like an amantis? No, metaphysical. Oh, I'm not picturing people with antennas now. Yes. This all came, after, came about after centuries of failed attempts by humans to find the answers to their origins from the outside through faith, science, and their surroundings. Mm-hmm. They searched for the answers to who they were, and what their soul was outward rather than looking within. And once this was understood, the answers came forth, bringing the new enlightenment. Now, this is where we will end part one of our series on Paul Amadeus Dinoch. With the discovery of the new enlightened man, a budding romance, and a strange new world thrust upon him. Stay tuned next Monday for part two, where we will discuss the future of our society long since past for them, the structure and history of their laws and governing bodies, which got them to where they are Today, to them, <laughs> today. it's confusing. Um, and the massive societal changes, which seem to reflect our own, just a little too close to be made up by a guy in the 1920s. Oh, I like this. Stay tuned next Monday for part two oh, of Chronicles from wait. the Future. I don't want to wait. And okay. re-listen if any of that shit went over your head. It fucking went over my head the first seven times too, but it makes sense now. And now I am fully invested into this society of the future. All right. <laughs> it's pretty incredible. I can't wait to be invested into it. Can we get out out of this society and go to the next? Yes. And Is by that, that you mean into a quieter, a quieter, cooler room. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Hey. Put on that bombshell. Lennon, hit him with the outro. Yeah, I'm getting there. <laughs> I thought I gave you enough fucking time. You sure did. But hey, ladies, gentlemen, ah. and squatches, I'm going to do it from memory till it pops up. Thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode. If you'd like to reach out to us and let us know your thoughts or opinions, you can do so by finding us on Instagram, Reddit, Facebook, and especially on our YouTube channel. Hit the subscribe button for auto downloads to listen first thing every Monday morning because you need that in your ears on your boring drive-in. You're going to learn about some futuristic men 
in yeah. societies. I like it. And also, a futuristic lady named Sylvia. I like Sylvia. Also, uh, Gregory, congratulations. Get a hold of us on uh, our email. Congrats, Gregory. Yeah. Shout out. Yeah, your $50 winner. Ooh. YouTube, go subscribe now. Thank you to all of our Patreon members that keep this podcast a reality. We are grateful for your continued support and your continued comments about how much you love the episodes. We are grateful for your continued support. If you haven't yet become a member and would like to support us, head to our Patreon, or if you're feeling a little classy, check out our merch selection on our website to visually show your support to your friends and family. Drop us a five-star rating and write us a review. Tell us what you love and how you are enjoying the show. Share us on your socials. Tell your crypto-loving friends and family about us. Subscribe, hit the bell, and like the videos on YouTube. This all helps us to grow and bring you even more great content for you to enjoy. I'm like the fucking translator I over here. I saw you over there. He's just... Yeah. Oh, wow. Shit, Shit you hit yourself. Well, I hit it. Join us next Monday for our next incredible episode. You may write us, rate us, review us, but remember to always stay curious, be vigilant, and don't touch my Sasquatch. Don't do it. He's in the nibble verse. Oh. Yeah, he's getting nibbled. nibbled. <laughs> yeah. Right, big guy? Uh, Peace. See ya. Big guy behind me. <laughs> Who's ready for some football? Oh, not yet. Did your team get smacked yesterday? Uh, well, they don't play till next week. So. Oh, I didn't know yeah, that. The, the game, the, the um, season starts next week. Oh, okay. My team got smacked yesterday. Did they? Uh, I was really disappointed. Square in the nuts, or just like oh, a little right was it, smack dab? Was it a tap, or was it just a full-on punch? Was uh, we scored? Or they scored, tied it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, we score. The other team, they put one in. So now it's two-one. Last minute of the game, they put a fucking another one in. I was really not happy. I was throwing shit. I got a sneeze coming. Sorry. Do it, guys. Ah! Oh, we're good. No mess. Beautiful. <laughs> Part two is going to be a glasses one. Part two is going to be a glasses one. The next step in human evolution. The next step in human evolution. Is a bunch of sounds and noises. Yes. The next step for human say. <laughs> Woo! Oh, Papa Verse, it's time to put it off right now. Hello, three, two. Won't give it to. (laughs) Now, Lennon, just your camera now because, well. You're doing it. Peace, bitch. Of course, we got the uh, audio, too. So, uh, snarf.